Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Back to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. It is our hope that the stories on this podcast inspire you to get out and pursue whatever your outdoor passions are. I'm Chase and I'll be hosting this episode. Unfortunately, Walt was unable to be a part of this episode because he is in Colorado on an elk adventure. I can't wait to hear the stories about his trip in a future podcast. Well, it's officially that time of year where deer seasons are starting to open up across the country, and we are less than a week from the opener in Zone C here in Florida. I'm really excited to try out my new tethered mantis. I know it's going to be a game changer because of the versatility that it offers. I've got several public land quota hunts planned, and only packing in a total of 15 pounds to get to my hunting areas really excites me, especially in the Florida heat. If you're thinking about making the switch to a saddle this year, I encourage you to check out tethered. They're a saddle company that makes products specifically with a saddle hunter in mind and are constantly looking for ways to improve the experience of the mobile hunter. You can check them out at www.tetherednation.com. I'd also like to give a shout out to all the patron members of the show. We really appreciate your support and feedback that we get from you guys. We're currently doing a giveaway for a tethered predator platform, and you can be entered in for that giveaway if you become a Patreon member by the end of September. To check out our Patreon account, visit www.patreon.com forward slash Chasing Tales Outdoors. On today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Logan Holtz of Holtz Outdoors and Burris Optics. Logan lives out in Colorado and has a real passion for hunting and fishing. He pursues a variety of animals in Colorado, and we discuss all the opportunities a state like Colorado offers for hunters and anglers. We also discuss some of the products offered by Burris Optics and how they can make you a more efficient hunter. Well, that's all I got for everybody, so let's jump in this week's episode with Logan Holtz. What's going on, everybody? On the line, I have an absolute killing machine. He has put all the game and fish in Colorado on notice, it appears, from his uh, Instagram account. He's got a real passion for the outdoors. He also has a YouTube channel and serves as a digital manager for Burris. Welcome to the podcast, Logan Holtz. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing good, man. Our uh, hunting season 
is getting close down here for uh, Whitetail. We're, I think we're at about eight days from our uh, season kicking off down here. So I have been looking forward to that. I'm not looking forward to the heat down here in Florida, obviously, because it's going to be uh, about 80 degrees in the morning, about 95 in the evening times. But uh, I'm looking forward to that. How about yourself? Dang, man, that is hot. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> seriously hot. <laughs> You're like shorts and t-shirt yeah. weather. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, see, I'm originally... I'm originally from the Northwoods of Wisconsin, so I'm used to the polar opposite of that, you know? Oh, wow. Yeah, you are used but, to uh, some... <laughs> it's probably cool <laughs> up in Wisconsin right now. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely cold, especially in the winter, but yeah, man, that's got to be exciting, you know, getting close to season. That's that's actually one of my favorite things about, you know, the outdoors and hunting and fishing is the seasonality of it and just looking forward to that next season, so it's that's exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. It seems like as soon as it ends, the preparation starts for the next season, uh, always. Yeah, and there's always there's always something to chase or catch or you know there's there's always something going on. That's that that's very true. Well, speaking of that, before we get going on this podcast, um, why don't you give the listeners a little background on yourself and talk about how you got involved in the outdoors? Yeah, man. So uh, I grew up in North Central Wisconsin in a tiny little town called Mosinee. I got into hunting from my dad, my grandpa, my grandparents. You know, were huge into hunting. The one grandpa was, he started actually the first archery club in Wisconsin. Uh, His name was Jerome Morey. Um, And then my other grandpa was a houndsman. Uh, He had a bunch of beagles um, and then just a huge deer hunter. So I threw them and my dad, I, I, that's how I got into hunting and fishing. And I mean, I started doing it when I was, my dad was taking me up into the tree stand before I could walk, man. You know, it was just part of, you know, how I grew up and just chasing squirrels and chipmunks in the backyard, you know, with a BB gun and a 22 and I was really little. And then, Eventually, you know, I got to go go hunting for my for myself when I was eight, um, and that's kind of when it really all all kicked off. And I, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, there wasn't a whole lot of big game. We basically had whitetail, but that's where I really cut my teeth on on bow hunting and and rifle hunting. And then, yeah, man, I got I went to a school at the University of Wisconsin uh, for for business. And then, you know, my senior year of college, during college, I hunt. I still hunted. Um, I kind of. I didn't do it as much as going through high school and stuff just because school was pretty demanding. But uh, my senior year of college, I remember going to the career fair and uh, there was a Cabela's booth there. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, how cool would it be if I could work for a company like that? And I gave him a resume. And, and next thing you know, I had a job offer. That's not anything I was going to turn down. So uh, <laughs> I had just met my now fiance, um, but at the time she was my girlfriend. And, uh, I'd only been, you know, see, Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'd only been seeing her for, I was only a couple months and I got this offer at Cabela's headquarters out in Sydney, Nebraska. I kind of told her, I was like, Hey, this is like a, the dr- ultimate dream of mine is to work for Cabela's. So I'm moving to Sydney and I I'd really love it. You know, if you came out with me and she said, yeah. And we loaded up a U-Haul tied her car to the back on a dolly and sent it West. And we've been living out here ever since. So that's the short of, you know, how I got out here and, I was, I was living in Sydney, Nebraska for about two years and then moved down to Colorado to work for their digital uh, agency. And so I've been living in Colorado here for four years after Cabela's Bass Pro merger thing happened. I wasn't really uh, liking the direction that company was going. So I got in contact with the guys at, at Burris Optics, which is located here in, in Colorado along the Front Range, and made the transition over to, to Burris. And I've, I've been with Burris for about two years now. And I get out a lot and I feel I'm, I'm pretty thankful for that. I mean, I think anybody would like to, to get outside more, but you know, you got to do what you got to do. I'm, I'm, I'm like everybody else, you know, just working nine to five. And then every weekend I possibly can and all my vacation goes, goes to hunting and fishing. So. Oh, wow. 
Well, that, I mean, that, that sounds like a, a cool story. I mean, it sounds like uh, your hunting was definitely in your blood. For on sure. both sides, you had uh, some type of hunting going on, and it seems that's kind of how your outdoor passion got sparked. And you, you're doing uh, something that a lot of people who are uh, hunting right now, they, they want to kind of be able to do something in the hunting industry because that's what they're passionate about. Uh, and you kind of went out there and made things happening. And, and like I said, now you're working for a company like Burris Optics, which is uh, which is awesome, for, especially for l- the last couple of years. I, I imagine that working for a company like Burris is probably giving you some opportunities. Uh, maybe in, has working for Burris given you like any extra opportunities in, in the hunting industry or have you been able to go on any special hunts or anything like that because you work for a company like burris i mean they normally save the hunts and stuff for the the higher up people uh so that that does happen but it's something you got to kind of work into that's not something i've i've gotten to experience a lot uh is it from the hunting side that being said i mean i have had a ton of opportunities with the company from a professional side and you know i've always shot guns and stuff but coming from wisconsin like florida you know you guys don't typically get too far as shots and then I ended up working for this long range optics company. <laughs> so I kind of got introduced to this world of like competitive shooting and three gun and long range. And I've learned so much about just ballistics and, you know, how guns work, how optics work. And so I've definitely, I've learned a lot and had a lot of good experiences from that. Yeah, man, that's great. It's, it's awesome. Whenever you can, you have a job that will like help, help your outdoor passions by just learning the little intricate details that a lot of, hunters really take for granted about ballistics or arrow flight or just just certain things where we just expect it to work and we really don't know why it works yeah i was gonna say it, it is it's cool once you start learning like you know you'll learn a little bit here a little bit there and then next thing you know like everything kind of starts tying together and you know before you know it you kind of have a more holistic understanding of of everything and there's actually a lot of like correlation too between like rifle hunting and archery that you just would never expect but then once you start learning those subtle nuances it kind of all ties together yeah i've uh kind of i don't know if you've ever do you know who john dudley is i do from knock on i I think i've kind of heard him kind of mention that before because he was kind of coming from the archery side to get into like some longer range shooting uh, with one of his buddies or something and he was kind of talking about the similarities that there are and you can kind of transition better if you understand one of them then it'll help you to kind of understand the other one a lot quicker than if you were just diving in Absolutely. He's totally right. And actually, Mr. Dudley just stuck a stud of a mule deer out west here. So congrats to him on yeah, that. He, he did. He did, man. <laughs> it looked like he was uh, like under the weather the entire uh, the entire trip or something. Like he had toilet paper on a stabilizer or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he had some issue going on. It was. I was like, whoa, that's, uh, that's hardcore right there. <laughs> hey, man, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it, but yep. it's definitely hardcore, man, yep. for sure. Well, um, as I mentioned before, and you, you talked about, you live in Colorado. And I know I, what I kind of think about Colorado when I think about hunting is it kind of offers a big elk. Like, that's kind of what I think about when I think about Colorado and some mule deer and stuff. But what are some of the hunting and fishing opportunities out there? Because I know you like to fish, too. Uh, so is, is there any – what makes Colorado so special? Yeah, man uh... – <sighs> First of all, I think the, the, one of the big things that sets Colorado apart from a lot of other states is the availability of public land. And right? I'm a huge advocate for equal use, all use public lands, right? So right. You look, most Western states are pretty good with public land, but Colorado especially, I swear to you, man, like 90% of our state is public ground that you can hunt. So that is just that just opens the doors, right? Like 
and then you get down into the species too like you mentioned we have a really good uh, elk population it's not the place to go for a giant trophy bull and i'm not saying there's not big bulls because there are big bulls here you just typically have to work pretty hard to find them but what we do have is the largest herd of elk in the world uh in the flat okay. tops of colorado it's something like it's over forty thousand head of elk in that one herd so wow. we, we have an abundance of elk obviously you know there's there's mule deer. There's actually whitetails too out on the front range along the rivers. Um, and then you have antelope, which are mostly along the front range and in some of the high plains. And then you get your mountain goats, your bighorn sheep, and two species of bighorn sheep, your Rocky Mountain bighorns and your desert bighorns. You have moose, and here it's the Shiraz moose. Um, that's You're not going to be able to hunt those even as a resident. It's like more than 15 years to get a bull tag right now. Right. Um, but, you know, there's just so many big game animals, and that's just the big game. I mean, then you get down to the small game, and I'm a, I'm a freak of a waterfall hunter. That's probably one of my favorite things to do. And you get down to the front range, you have some of the best goose hunting in the world. And, you know, you got great duck hunting and all the different grouse species. And, I mean, the, the hunting opportunities are pretty much endless. It's it's a really good good spot to live. But Right. Now, do y'all have, there's turkeys out there as well, right? Merriams? Do you yep. have Merriams out there? Yes, sir. Uh, Merriams and Rios, actually. So we get a mixture oh, okay. of, of both up in the mountains. Um, and then... Uh, the Rios are primarily along the front range here. So, Okay. Is there any bear out there in Colorado? Yeah, lots of bear. Uh, no grizzlies yet, uh, quote unquote, um, because I know people who have seen them and they know their stuff and they didn't just see a, a big brown bear, but the DOW refuses to admit that there's grizzlies. And until this year, they actually refused to admit that there's wolves too, but they had one of them with a radio collar that snuck down from Yellowstone and is in Northern Colorado now. So, we, really? we do have black bears, a ton of them, especially this year because of the record moisture level with all the snowpack we had. The nutrition's been really good, so there's been not a lot of cub die-off. So the bears are everywhere this year. Um, no bears. You got some, a couple wolves, Not nothing too bad. And they haven't like decimated the, the elk population yet like other states, but they're talking about introducing, reintroducing, quote, they love to use that word. I don't know why, but they're talking okay. about inter- introducing the wolf into Colorado now. And I, I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, growing up oh, yeah. in, in Northern Wisconsin, I've seen what, what wolves can do. So I'm not a big fan of them, but that's neither here nor there. So, <laughs> Oh yeah. I'm sure they're going to receive backlash on it. Kind of, I think what didn't that kind of happen in Idaho? <laughs> yeah. Everybody was kind of poor mouthing about <laughs> the elk population. Well, what about uh, the fishing? Can you touch on the fishing a little bit? Cause it, it seems like there's some great fishing opportunities out there as well. Yeah, man. So the, thing when you think of Colorado you think of like fly fishing mountains right and and there's there's great river fishing in Colorado a lot of good uh there is public access to water um but where you're going to be able to get to the best fishing is going to be through float trips through rafting down and stopping and hitting holes um so there there is really good fly fishing up in the mountains I will say compared to previous places I've lived like obviously growing up in northern Wisconsin I used to guide for muskie and smallmouth and and was in Nebraska, I fished all the time. And it's very pressured here in Colorado. Like a lot of people like to fish here and there's a lot of people here. And because of all this op- outdoor opportunity I'm talking about, we have an influx of people coming into the state. So even since I've been here in the last four or five years, I mean, the population is just going nuts. And as a result, the fishing pressure has gone way up. So I will say the fish are very uh, educated. They're highly pressured up in the mountains, but the fishing is it's still beautiful and, and pretty good. Um, and then along the front range, you have all these lakes. They're, they're reservoirs, right? They're man-made bodies of water. 
and they have some pretty good fishing in there as well. Um, some really good walleye fishing, actually tro- trophy walleye fishing along the front range of Colorado. Okay, nice. I didn't. I actually, I didn't. Even, I didn't know there were walleye out in Colorado. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I learned something with it. Now, do you ice fish out there as well? Is I do. Yeah, and then ice fishing, you get into a whole different world. So that's typically done because the front range, right? When people think Colorado, they think snow in the winter. Well, that's not the case. And the front range here, like once you get out of the mountains and you're in the plains, it snows every now and then, maybe two or three times a winter. Well, it melts right away because it's so warm and the sun is so close because you're at 5,000 feet even out in the plains. So we don't really have a winter in the plains, so you can't really ice fish the plains, maybe for a week or two out of the year, but that's about it. And you're going to be on thin ice. Up in the mountains, on the other hand, that's where you do your ice fishing. And you get to some of those bigger uh, reservoirs up in the mountains. You know, you're talking about like, Wolford Reservoir, Spinney Reservoir, Green Mountain Reservoir, Grand Lake, Granby Lake, um, down to Blue Mesa, uh, all these really big bodies of water. And what they hold are uh, lake trout. And okay. if you've never lake trout fished before through the ice, that is something you absolutely need to do. Because if you love ice fishing, you will love ice fishing for lake trout. Oh, wow. That that does kind of uh, sound intriguing. I don't know. I mean, being from Florida, like the ice fishing thing, I'm always kind of like, oh, man, it's got to be cold. But... I mean, I've seen people out there, they talk about fishing with their shirts off and stuff out on the ice. I don't know if that's the case in Colorado, but... (laughs) It is definitely the case in Colorado. So, growing up in Wisconsin ice fishing, you were freezing, man. You needed a shack. Like, it's... There's always a couple weeks where it's, like, negative 25 to negative 45 for, like, a couple weeks. So, that's, like, really cold, right? Here in Colorado, you'll be ice fishing, and there'll be a foot and a half to three feet of ice. But, I mean, it's 70 degrees because you're so close to the sun. And you actually have to put sunblock on or you will get fried because that, oh, wow. that's, that sun is reverberating off the snow and just smoking you in every direction. and You just get torched out there. So you actually <laughs> got to be careful. It's like almost too hot. Yeah, that is that is kind of weird. Well, I mean, you make Colorado s- sound like this dream place. I mean, do you, do you feel like it is? I mean, because it's I mean, I, listening to you, I'm like, man, there's so many more opportunities like hunting wise than there is in Florida. I mean, you got, like I said, you get a little bit of duck, you get a little bit of, um, you got deers kind of, like I said, deer's kind of the main thing you're going to hunt a little bit of hogs, uh, depending on where you're at. And you can kind of hunt gators a little bit. Like I said, the duck hunting, it just depends on what zone you're in. It it can be okay or whatnot, but I guess we're kind of more known for our Osceola turkeys. uh, Yeah. Yeah. As well. Those Osceolas are cool, man. That's, that's the only bird I have left to get my slam and someday I'll chase them. But Oh man, well, man, uh, you ought to come down here. I'm your man. I can, uh, I, I can help you out with that for sure. I've helped several people get their, uh, Osceola bird for their grand slam. Um, so that, that'd be kind of neat. What do you think? I mean, do you, do you feel like you can live anywhere else now or are there oh, other places I think that I'm a, I'm are just big, as comparable to Colorado? I totally think, man, I'm a big fan of like, you are like where you are is what you make of it. Right. right. So, I, when I lived in Nebraska, right, when I was living up in Sydney, I loved it. I loved it, man. I would go back there in a heartbeat, even over in Colorado. And some people say, what? Are you kidding me? You'd <laughs> rather live in Nebraska than Colorado? Like, what is in Nebraska? Man, It's everything is what you make of it, right? And the biggest thing that I loved about Nebraska over Colorado, I mentioned that population before. Nebraska's got no people in all the game, man. It's freaking awesome. I right. loved it. I, when I go outside, I don't want to see people. When I go fishing, I don't want to stand in a stream and combat fish shoulder to shoulder with people. I would literally rather go an entire day without catching a fish and without seeing a person than I would hammer and fish next to people. <laughs> right. So Yeah, I can get that. So I, 
I think that there are better places in Colorado to live in, and I'd like to try living in a different state, you know, someday soon here and just, cause it's, it's cool to live in a different state, you know, for three years, five years, get to know it and then try somewhere new because I do love Colorado and there's a lot of opportunity, but the amount of people coming in are, are kind of ruining or at least compromising the, the, the resources, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can, uh, I definitely get that. Um, we, I mean, we don't really have that as much down yeah. here in Florida. I can't, I can't. Now, maybe a little bit on some of the fishing, but... Yeah, and I did mention, you know, all the resources and the things you can hunt. But again, the mule deer hunting here is you can't hunt mule deer every year like you can deer in Florida, right? Like, you need to draw. Elk, you can hunt every year. You're not going to hunt goats. You're not going to hunt sheep. You're not going to hunt moose. That's not happening for, like, 15 years. So it's cool that they're here, but it's not like you can hunt them. Right. Um, And then even turkeys on the front range, some areas are draw for turkeys. It's a three-year draw to even hunt turkeys. So, oh, wow. I mean, you really have to, a place is what you make of it, right? If you want to drive three hours to get to a spot to hunt turkeys, sure, you can hunt turkeys every year, but you got to drive, you got to work for it. You got to drive. Same thing is like elk hunting. Sure. There's over the counter elk hunting pretty much everywhere in Colorado. But if you want to get into big, like sizable bulls, you gotta, you gotta work for it, man. It's not, it's not, Hey, get oh, out yeah. of your truck, make a call and, you know, pull the trigger. It's, you know, you're on my standard elk hunt. I'm going at least eight miles from the trailhead and I'm camping out for multiple days, you know, in, oh, a, wow. back, in a backpacking tent and you're, you're grinding. I mean, that's, when I say eight miles, that's not like eight, eight miles down a trail. That is eight miles of thousands of feet of vertical gain and loss and bushwhacking and going through deadfall. It, it's a, it's a grind, man. Oh yeah, no doubt. I mean, with Florida, like I said, if you told me eight miles, I'd be like, oh, okay, well that's nothing. I can walk eight miles in a couple of hours, but that's not the case out there. Uh-uh. Um, I now I know it's beautiful out there. I mean, can you touch on that a little bit, like how how beautiful it is out in Colorado? Yeah, it is beautiful. It's a, uh, it's. I think what makes it beautiful is uh, the variety. Even like I said, I thought I thought Nebraska was beautiful living there, just because I can appreciate the beauty in different things, right? Like the plains are beautiful, and Colorado has plains. And then you get up into the foothills and that's got its own like own beauty. And then you get up into the, you know, kind of the subalpine and then you get up to the, you know, above timberline, super high mountains on the continental divide. And then you go down and then next thing you know, you're in like desert rim rock, like red rim rock. And then you're in like the desert in the Western part of Colorado in the South. It's just such a, there's such a variety um, that I think, you know, just you're, you're never going to get just within the state. You'll never if you're ever sick of your surroundings, just drive a little bit, you know, and you'll be in a different area. Right. Yeah, I can understand that. The host of this show, he's out in Colorado right now, and he's been sending me some pictures and stuff, talking about how beautiful it is. And he's like, I don't know if I'm going to come back. I mean, you just, I mean, you're going to hear that all the time from people. It's like, man, it's so great out here. But he does, he hasn't experienced it 365, kind of like you're talking about. Like, oh, he hasn't been out there fishing or doing some of the things where it, it might he might decide that that's not the case. Yeah, if he, if he likes to fish a lot, he's especially if he likes to trout fish a lot, he's going to struggle living in Colorado because – yeah, there's a lot of people that do it, but yeah, it is, it is beautiful. It is beautiful. And we do have the seasons. I love, I love, you know, growing up in Wisconsin, I loved having the different seasons and we, we get, we get that here. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, I think that's kind of one of his things. He's, he wants to be in that cool weather <laughs> as well. <laughs> he's got a big old beard and everything. So he's always talking about, Oh, uh, I'd like to be cooler <laughs> than this, than how hot it is here in Florida. I don't mind it as much, but like you said, it's all about kind of what you're used to and yeah. Do you know uh, what how, you like? Do you know how his elk hunt's going? 
he's it's been kind of spotty. Like I'll get like a message from him like every like third day or something. Um, he said that they were up high, whatever that means. Like they were up higher than where they had been searching, and they've like had to continue to kind of keep pushing it to get to where the elk are. Yep. Yeah, he's in the right spot. They normally start up a bit higher, you know, where their summer range is, and then feed down towards their their winter range. So. Okay. Yeah, he's actually – well, the funny part is is he's actually – he's not – he went out there. His uncle lives out there and another buddy of his. They, they have the tags, and he was kind of like tagging along this year on the hunt as kind of just to kind of get a feel for how it is out there and see what his body can take and do some filming and some photography and stuff like that. So he's uh, he's actually not the, the trigger man. Hey, um, he's unless still, they just he's still unless they just it, got man. into it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, unless they were just in them, and then he's like, "I'm going to go buy an over the counter" because they're in an over the counter yep. um, zone. Um, they didn't have to draw or anything for this. So he's like, "Well, if I get out there and it's like crazy, then I'll have to go get one." Obviously, but I mean, it's it's got is I mean, it's a little bit expensive for a non-resident to kind of go out there yep. as far as buying a tag. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't know if it's the same for residents. I think it's probably a little bit cheaper. It's a it's a lot cheaper. That's kind of the main reason I moved here. Is so when I have first moved out to nebraska right i i got pretty lucky well i did my research but i also got lucky and i drew an elk tag in nebraska which is pretty rare um and i got wow. pretty much like the ultimate elk hunting experience for my first elk hunting experience and i basically told myself after that that i'm gonna hunt elk every year right so then i was like well what states can i hunt elk in every year then i looked at colorado when i was living up in nebraska because it was the closest and i was like oh my gosh as a non-resident, I think it's right now it's like it's right around 800 bucks for a non-resident tag. And, you know, right. Right, right out of college, even now, I can't afford that every year. And so I was like, you know what? There's only one way I'm going to be able to hunt elk every year, and that's move there. <laughs> so right. I moved down here, and now, yeah, tags are like 34 bucks. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that that is a huge uh, difference. Yeah. Um, I think bit. I heard like. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I heard it was like Randy Newberg or something one time was talking about like Montana, like the difference between a resident. And he's like, it was like pretty much you could buy like a, one of those like gold sportsman type licenses for everything for like a hundred dollars or something if you were a resident. And I'm like, and then it's like, but it's like twelve hundred bucks for a non-resident elk tag or something crazy. Yep. I was like, geez, Louise, that's I said that's insane. It is. I was yeah. Like, I, I was like, man, when I retire, I'm like, I'm gonna have to move out to these states <laughs> so I can. It'll be affordable to be able to hunt some of these animals. Yeah, man, uh, for it, sure. It makes a big difference for sure. And uh, but I mean, it's good because we have so it's 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 almost like tourism, right? Like you don't want to charge too much for the tags because you want people to come in. I forget how much Colorado grosses every year in income just from tourism, not even counting the tags. But the amount of money that right. the non-residents spend on the tags is awesome because that money does go right. It goes to parks. It goes to trail restoration it goes to putting out forest fires it goes to it goes to all of these things that you know are, are essential and it, it's it's a good thing that the tags are, are a little costly because that money is going to a pretty good place you know oh yeah yeah no doubt no i, I definitely agree with that you definitely if you're a non-resident coming there you definitely need to help support the ecosystem there and the hunting uh just so like i said so you can be able to go out there year after year yeah i mean you think about you think about all like the trails you're driving down and all the you know, all the, the trails you're hiking on or biking on or whatever you're doing. I mean, all those things have to be made. All of them have to be groomed, upkept. And I mean, they get pounded pretty hard. So, I mean, they're having to yearly, they're having to redo those trails and make sure that they're actually drivable. Cause some, some of the places those roads go are pretty amazing. I mean, if you step back and look at it you're like, how in the world did they put this road here? <laughs> you're like, what were they thinking? 
Yeah, I'm sure. Maybe they had a reason behind it. Who knows? Yeah. Um, I mean, okay, well, you've kind of talked about Colorado. I've, I feel like I got a good idea of what Colorado is now um, from your description and everything. Uh, so you mentioned that maybe duck hunting was one of your favorite things to do, or what? what is your favorite outdoor pursuit? Is it oh, going after elk, ducks, or do you just you just love it all? I feel like that's every outdoorsman's like worst question to get, right, because I do love all of it. I love every – every little bit of it from, you know, even I trapped a lot growing up and fishing. and I love it all. But if I had to say like, what is my number one favorite thing is probably bow hunting elk in September. Um, second to that, a very close second would be duck hunting. I love duck hunting. Okay. Well, we kind of know about the elk in Colorado and I've, I've got, I've got some buddies that they've got some family members that live out in Colorado and they've kind of talked about the duck hunting there. So why don't you kind of d- talk about the duck hunting in Colorado? Like, is it like phenomenal out there or, you know, what, what can you tell me about that? The, the duck hunting is not phenomenal. It's good, but it's not phenomenal. Okay. Um, the goose hunting is phenomenal. Um, and I gotcha. do, I do like goose hunting, but I just like duck hunting more. Um, right. They're very similar. It's almost like the analogy that I use is like, for people that haven't waterfall hunted before and they're like looking to try something new, I think duck hunting is like goose hunting in fast forward, right? Like you hit, okay, yep. you hit the two X fast forward button and hit play. So like when geese work you, they they set their wings and they, they'll circle you two or three times, like real slow, right? They're big, they're slow, they come in, even they honk, honk, honk right? Like everything is right. slower. And then ducks are whack, 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 and they're just, just like the cadence of their call, their wing beat is that much faster. And it just happens, and they're, they work in multiple groups, right? Like ducks will work in three separate groups, and then all of a sudden they'll come together and be landing on you. Geese just all come in together, right? They all together oh, yeah. come in real slowly. So I like that fast-paced aspect of duck hunting. Yeah, no doubt. I can. Uh, now, what kind of, do I have mallards, or what, what are the duck species y'all have out there? Yeah, we're, we're a little diverse. It's not, not crazy like it is in Utah or California. Uh, we get about a week's worth of pintail flight. We get about two weeks' worth of wedgeon flight, green wing and blue wing teal. No, no cinnamons here at all, but primarily okay. it's mallards. Um, I'd say about 90% of the ducks we shoot are mallards. And uh, a lot of greenheads. I don't know why, but there is not a lot of hens out here, which is pretty cool. We, we, don't, we don't shoot them. Um, basically, if you shoot a hen when you're hunting with us, you buy lunch for everybody, so... Okay. <laughs> we, we just uh, we nice. just try not to do it because there's just not many, there's not many of them. I don't know if they just don't fly through this flyway or well, I don't which is the spots we hunt if we don't see them or what. But a lot of yeah, drakes kind of strange, which is cool. Um, and yeah, I mean we hunt. It's you can hunt anywhere from you know reservoirs to field hunting to my favorite thing to hunt out here uh, is a warm water slough. So on those on those rare days in our winter where it does get cold and it freezes and there's snow if you're everything will freeze right and if you're on the only piece of open water because there's literally a spring in the slough that's warm it is just some of the most phenomenal hunting ever you can just leave your decoys at home it and it, it's just incredible yeah it does it sounds incredible so, uh, i know but, where where i'm at here in florida it's not i mean it's kind of hit or miss like some years it's great some years it's not that great yeah we've we've got this weird thing going on right now in colorado where if you imagine like a graph, right, this like our goose population is just steadily going up at like that 45 degree, like it's just getting better and better every year. Now, like the inverse line is how the ducks are like it's getting worse and worse every year, the duck population. 
so wow. it's kind of interesting it's kind of crappy for me because i like hunting ducks i love hunting geese too but like i said it's just not quite the same for me and so our goose hunting's yeah, getting better yeah. our duck hunting's getting worse and it's just interesting you know having you know been hunting for the last 20 years it's interesting to see those population changes you know um I know they did a study on rabbits once that it basically, and I was a big rabbit hunter growing up. I had a bunch of beagles and stuff. I mentioned that my grandpa was a houndsman, but they did a study yeah. and they said that rabbits go in like a 10 year cycle where all of a sudden there's this boom and then there's this bust. Right. So I think okay. that, I think that all animals kind of have that natural uh, population flux and it's just a matter of like how long that period of time is. Okay. Yeah. I, I can kind of see that with, like either with fishing or or hunting yeah yeah deal. i think all things kind of have their natural yeah, population flux yeah 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 i can totally agree with that now are you strictly a public land guy or do you hunt some private land uh pretty much all public um every now and then i'll get out on private um and how i get access to private is just by knocking on doors and asking i don't I don't okay. pay money. I can't afford that. <laughs> so right, I just right. go and knock on enough doors until I, you know, get a farmer who's willing to let me hunt there. And normally I offer, Hey, you know, I'll help around the farm or I, some of them he'll have businesses sometimes and I'll offer some digital marketing help or advice. Um, but you know, okay. primarily it's, I would say definitely the big game is a hundred percent public land because nobody's going to give you access to private for big game unless you're paying for it. And then oh, wa- yeah, yeah. waterfall is, is a mixture of, of public and private. The duck hunting I do is pretty much all public, like a 90.99% is public. And then the goose hunting I do is about, I'd say it's more more private than public just because of where they are. Uh, just up along the front range, there's not a whole lot of public to goose hunt on. Right. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, you got so much public land out there. Uh, I mean, why not make use of it? And like I said, it is the the cost savings that you you have is, is makes it worth it if i'm gonna try to pay you know if a landowner wants this is how i look at it if a landowner wants to charge you three to five thousand dollars to elk hunt on his property the way i look at that is holy cow i could go hunt elk in three more states this year <laughs> right like, so i would go do that i would go hunt elk in another state way over ever paying access to you know just be able to hunt on private land right well speaking of hunting other states uh, do you have any other states that you frequent to hunt? Absolutely, yeah. So I kind of have my, I've developed my, I guess you'd call it my rounds, right? <laughs> so right. I start off here in Colorado with uh, archery antelope. Then I go archery elk, which is in right now. Um, and then after archery elk, I'll do uh, Colorado rifle mule deer. I always go back up to Nebraska and I archery hunt mule deer there. Uh, and then I go back home to Wisconsin. Um, our deer season in Wisconsin is so cool, man. It is it's a cultural phenomenon. Like it, it just brings me back, you know, like all my friends come home for deer season. Not everybody comes home for Christmas. Not everybody comes home for Easter or Thanksgiving, <laughs> but everybody is home for deer season. All the kids have off school. Like, so it's a cool time to be home. So I always go back for the week before opener and I'll bow hunt the week before opener. And then I'll, I'll rifle hunt Wisconsin opener and then come back to Colorado. And then that's when the small game all kicks off for me. And then for small game, I'll hunt, I'll go to Utah, North Dakota. I visit my friends down in, in the south. I'll go hunt Arkansas and Missouri for ducks every year and kind of travel around there. So, Oh, so you, Arkansas, huh? That's kind of the – that's more like the, the mecca for duck hunting. <laughs> yeah, that like. – well, that's just – it's again, it's the style, man. Like, I've shot enough ducks and geese in fields to never shoot another animal in a field again. Like, I, it's just not – I don't know. It's, it's fun, but I got burnt out on it. You know what I mean? To go into the timber that we don't have out here, right? 
to go to that new environment and get that just different experience where the ducks are literally dropping in through tree branches. That is freaking amazing, man. I, oh yeah. I, I don't think that'll ever get old. So I, <laughs> I always love going down and doing that. And that like that trip I did to Utah last year, just hunting the great salt Lake. Right. That was just a new experience. Like hunting salt water. What? Like it was my dog, right. my dog was like licking her lips. She was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> like what's going on? <laughs> That that is pretty funny. I never even thought about that. <laughs> yeah, she was like, "What is wrong with this water, man?" She was losing her mind. It was funny. I got a little. She's a two year old laptop. So okay, nice. That's perfect. Um, did you do, have you did you buy the the lab to to kind of go hunting, or did you just want a dog and it just kind of worked out that the, the the dog can go hunting with you? <laughs> Definitely got her got her for a hunting dog. Um, so it's actually a cool little story how I got her. I'll make it quick. But when I was working at Cabela's up in Sydney, everybody had dogs, right? And everybody, they had them in trials and competitions all over. And everybody was so proud of their dogs. And I hunted with a lot of dogs as a result because the duck and goose hunting up there is really good too. And uh, probably one of the best dogs I ever hunted over was one of my friend's dogs. And I, I said, I was like, hey, because she wasn't fixed or anything. I was like, when your dog had its first litter, I want to pick up the litter. Call me and let me know. So two years ago, my phone rang and she, they were like, all right, she's pregnant. So I got you know, picked out of, out of her litter. And I've had a lot of hunting dogs over my life, six beagles, an English setter, all kinds, all kinds of them. Trained them all. I've never really sent a dog off for training. I always like to do it myself. And this is okay. my, she is a, my, my one English setter was amazing, but this dog is phenomenal, man. She was so easy to train and her name's Delta. And she's just at two years old now. She is She's a machine, um, and it's, it helps that she get, gets a lot of practice, right? Because she was seven months old during her first hunting season, and I hunted her the whole season as a seven-month-old dog. So by the time she was even one years old, she had almost 400 retrieves. So, oh, wow. I mean, that really helps just repetition, repetition. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt, for sure, especially when, like I said, you're trying to train a dog. Yeah, and they, they learn so well when they're young. You know, they're just little sponges. I've always wanted to kind of get a, a, a lab or a dog like that I would could have as like a hunting buddy or whatever to be able to take out and do things like that. So yeah, uh, I, I can definitely see the appeal to, to having one for sure. I have some friends out here, but it's not like back home. So I do a lot of hunting solo, especially big game, okay. just because it's my like it's my time to get away, get away right and just kind of be with be with my own thoughts the dog is just really cool because like you said it's like a companion so if i want to go out goose hunting i wouldn't do it i wouldn't go out goose hunting by myself if i didn't have a dog but when i have the dog i feel like you know it's kind of cool like just me and her out there gets it you know to spend time with her and work with her i don't know it's not as rushed as with your when you're with a group of people you're trying to like make sure everybody has a good time right the dog kind of gets thrown by the wayside and then she's just a tool well, right. when it's you and her, it's kind of, it's your, it's your hunt together. You know, it's kind of fun. No, I, I can, like I said, I can see the appeal, especially if you're going out alone and stuff like that. And you, like I said, you've got that partner, that, yep. that little, that little hunting partner to be with you. I, I noticed that you, you have a YouTube channel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What, what inspired you to start filming your, uh, your hunting adventures? One of my uh, buddies I worked with at, at Cabela's, he actually did video production there. His name is Chris Betcher. Uh, he's the one I go down and hunt with down south every year. He's actually going to be here next week. I'm taking him out elk hunting. We've just gotten to be really good friends over the years, and he is a machine of a duck caller. He'll, he'll you know, call in the world down in Arkansas. And so, anyways, he uh, being a videographer, he films a lot. And I went on a couple duck hunts with him up in Sydney, and I just noticed this like style of filming that he's got, and it's not invasive. It doesn't ruin the hunt at all. Um, 
So I was like, you know what? I think I can do that. So I got, you know, a couple GoPros, threw it on a battery pack. And I wish I was a better editor. I'm not going to tell you that my YouTube channel is good. So don't don't expect like these high quality films. My one friend, uh, David Wise, uh, you might know the name. He uh, is an Olympic gold medalist. He's a skier. He came out here and and goose hunted with me this year uh, with Rob, dear meat for dinner uh, out of Florida as well. They came out here. Oh I, yeah, yeah. I yep. took him on a, on a with him. Yeah, I took him on a goose hunt out here. Those two, and uh, David's like, man, I watched your YouTube channel. I didn't know you had one. And I was like, yeah. What do you think? He's like, well, he's like, I, I would call it waterfall porn. <laughs> I was like, you know what? You're exactly right. Like, it's not. There's no story behind it. It's not. <laughs> it's not like edited really well. There's just a lot of stuff dying. And like a oh, lot yeah. of action. I've, I've started now to try to like film my big game hunts too. It's just a lot different. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, the waterfall hunts are definitely, <laughs> they're action packed they're short. Um, but I think I also try to mix in a little bit of education and try to tell people, Hey, this is, this is why we're set up like this. This is why we moved. This is why I made that call and try to kind of help people that are maybe trying to get into it. Or maybe even people who have done it forever, you know, just, maybe teach them something that'll help them, you know, be a little bit more successful next time they're out. So, Oh yeah, no doubt. I think I remember like, it was probably one of the first YouTube videos of, of yours that I watched and it was like a double Turkey hunt that you had where <laughs> yep. you traveled and then, it, but like I said, it was, it's just straight up footage of the hunt. Like there's, it's, which is great. Sometimes you, like I said, you just want the, the action packed and then sometimes a little bit of a uh, story kind of helps whatever happened go along but when you go out and like oh he's oh i can see some turkeys boom and you pull the trigger and it's like i got the double i got the double <laughs> yeah man that was which crazy. is awesome that's that that's was... all real stuff that people like to see yeah that was nuts that turkey hunt this year i've never hunted in a blizzard before that was insane oh yeah that was i was just like i was like this dude's crazy he's out here i was like he's not going to see any turkeys there's no way there's turkeys out <laughs> i didn't think i was going to i just couldn't handle being in the cabin anymore <laughs> that blizzard that oh, yeah. came through it was like three and a half feet in two days and we were sewed into this cabin i was with like a bunch of other guys and i was getting cabin fever man i just needed to get out of there oh yeah no doubt i can uh, understand that for sure and like i said you, you had a, a pretty good drive to get there so i imagine you were already yeah <laughs> had that going on Okay, well, that's uh, that's it's like I said, uh, it doesn't really matter. Like I said, you'll have those videos to kind of go back uh, as documentation for yourself to be able to look at and kind of like remember. Oh yeah, I remember doing that. Or totally, like yeah. Said, it doesn't have to be something that's awesome, but it'll be good to look back on or be able to show your kids one day. I say, hey, look what Dad was doing. <laughs> I totally have learned so much. I've become such a better hunter from filming my hunts because I'll go back and I'll be watching it and I'll be like. Oh my, like, for example, I'll be watching a film and I'll be like, we have a huge group of mallards working us. They're on their third swing. They're totally committed. They're coming in. And then they just blow out of there. And like me, I'm looking at the decoys. I'm like, what did we have set up wrong? And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm looking at the film, watching it back. And then there's my buddy like moving around over on the left side of the blind. I was like, <laughs> oh my God, like I couldn't see that from my angle, but the camera caught it. And that's just right. one, one little example, but you learn so much. Like why did oh, dang, my one buddy blew that call when they were right over the top of us. Like, that's what flared them. Like, and you start to pick up on all these things that you didn't realize, and it helps you kind of adapt and not do that. So, and in my films, too, in films, I don't know why I call them, it's not a film, it's just a <laughs> waterfall porn, right? But in the right. videos, I do show the groups that we don't get, too. I'm not going to show just all the good stuff. Like, I show the bad stuff. I show the misses because I think they're educational and they're funny. Like if a, if a group of two ducks come in and like light right on top of your decoys and 
two guys jump up and unload their guns and both ducks fly away. Like that's kind of hilarious. Cause that shouldn't happen. Oh yeah. No, yeah, no doubt. I remember there was a hunt that uh, me and uh, two of my buddies went on and it was a duck hunt. We weren't having much action. And like this one bird comes flying by. It was a little, probably a little bit out of range at the time, but I think all three of us just unleashed. Like yeah. we, were, we were like unleash hell and yeah. none of us hit the bird. It was, and then we, we got the biggest kick out of none of us hitting that bird than we would have if one of us would have hit it. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. It, 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 it kind of adds to the story sometimes. And we still talk about that, that story to this day about how we, we struck out uh, on this one little lone uh, <laughs> duck that went like, I think it was a ring neck or something that went flying over. Our it, was, it was the Kevlar bird, man. Yeah. <laughs> That's yep. like that's yeah, what makes exactly. hunts. That's what makes hunts. Those little memories, you know. It's not. It's not about shooting a limit. It's not about. It's not about that. It's about you know just those little random things that you'll just never forget. You've got me in tears laughing right now because I'm thinking back <laughs> on all these like all little things like that. You know. That's what. That's what I love about the hunting, and, and especially when sometimes when you get to share it with other people, kind of makes the the whole experience uh, better. And I mean, I've got some kids. I've got some. I've got an eight year old and a five year old, and I'm just. I mean, I'm pumped. I've taken them out a little bit, but I haven't been able to take them out um, like anything crazy yet to kind of get their first deer. My daughter's kind of, she's kind of iffy. She's the older one on, she's like, well, I don't know about hunting, but my son's all about, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I want to kill a deer or I want to do this, but he's just uh, not quite ready yet, I don't yep. think. Um, but it's still fun to take them out there and let them see the deer or whatever you're doing with uh, them. And I, like I said, I hope I'll be able to have some hunting buddies as they grow up which will, which will be awesome and be able to take them out and share all the great memories that i've had through hunting yeah dude that sounds it sounds like you're gonna you know and I, I think it's awesome that you're getting them into it i think that's really important you know someday i want to have kids and i hope to pass you know hunt, we got to pass this tradition down this like it's not even tradition just like a lifestyle right and right it's it's so important to keep that going and it, it's so cool that my dad learned it from my grandparents and someday you know maybe i'll pass it on to my kids who'll pass it on to theirs like that's that's so cool. Yeah, that is. I, I was lucky. I was actually I'm an adult onset hunter. I didn't start hunting until later in life, just because growing up, my parents they didn't hunt. But fortunate enough, I was lucky to to marry someone whose dad was like an ins- avid hunter. Dude, that's and awesome. Got me into it, and I haven't looked back ever since. And that's been what well, like 13 years now, and I'm just as crazy about hunting now or even more than I ever was uh, when I first got into it. So. Dude, that is awesome. I, I, you know, I'll talk to people at trade shows and stuff every now and then, and they'll be like, yeah, I love the term adult onset hunter. I think that's awesome. And I, I have mad respect for you guys because hunting is obviously, it's my number one passion in life. Like it is my life, right? Hunting and fishing in the outdoors. And I don't know what I would do if I didn't have it. And it scares me to think like, what if I didn't have, parents or grandparents that were into it and what if i never got in like knowing how much i love it now like what if i never experienced it like that's scary for me to even think about so people like you that didn't really grow up with it but like ended up getting into it now you have this like amazing passion dude good for you like that is awesome Uh, i i grew up playing sports and stuff so and i kind of always I would kind of, I knew some people that hunted and stuff and was kind of intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. But like I said, I didn't really get the chance to go until I was a little bit older. But uh, I mean, I don't, I don't have any regrets or anything like that. I mean, I got to do other stuff. And now, like I said, I'm just an avid hunter and I love to go fishing and love to go do all those things that I didn't necessarily, necessarily do growing up. And I was yeah. glad I could find something like hunting to be able to do that. Oh yeah. You've got the rest of your life to do it now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
So, and, and it, but I will, I mean, I know the learning curve. It was definitely, I was just like, man, I, cause I was always under the impression of like, man, this hunting thing is going to be easy. <laughs> I'll be able to get out there. I'm going <laughs> to kill this monster buck. And then like this first little four point that walks in, my heart was beating so fast. It was like, I was like, I know this deer can hear my heart beating. He was right underneath. I was like, there's no way he can't hear my heart beating right now. <laughs> and I think I missed him like three times. Like, I, I don't, I, I, it was just one of the things I fell apart. It was just a debacle. And I was like, how did you fall apart? on this little deer you're expecting to kill monsters but you can't even shoot a four point that walks under the stand i was like get it together <laughs> that, that feeling should never go away either i still get all worked up man and that's just that's just passion and that's beautiful that's the best thing about it you know i'm a i got a bunch of little brothers and sisters i'm actually the oldest of uh eight kids and uh i go back every year i said for you know our, our whitetail season and it, for me i'm just going back i'll sit in the stand with them you know i'll take them out and they're my two little brothers too. They bow hunt. So I'll go out, I'll bow hunt with them every day before rifle season. And I love watching their faces. Like when they, even if it's a doe, you know, like it doesn't matter. Like they just get so excited. And God, man, my one little brother watching him try to shoot a deer last year. Kid is just shaking like a leaf. He's just so excited. <laughs> like I love watching that because it's just such a visceral reaction, you know? Oh yeah, no doubt. I can't wait for uh, to be able to see that <laughs> whenever, whenever my kids st- start hunting, just just to be able to see it um, from from a different set of eyes other than yourself <laughs> being that yeah. person for sure. Well, cool, man. Well, how about you talk a little bit about uh, Burris? I- I'm really interested to hear about that Oracle bow site. I mean that that kind of had my intrigue. I think that's probably I saw you on a video where you were talking about that bow site. So why don't you talk about some of the things that Burris has to offer for hunters and maybe like kind of close out on the Oracle bow site. Yeah, man. So, so I mentioned I was working at Cabela's happy over there. Um, and the marketing director at Burris reaches, reaches out to me at LinkedIn and he's like, Hey, you want to grab beers? And I was like, I love beer. Sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, so basically, you know, we're sitting there talking, he's actually from Wisconsin as well. And we're doing, talking about hunting stories and I, I, I'm a little, I would consider myself not an inventor, but like I have a lot of ideas, right? And I write them down. And I was, well, I actually basically had the idea for the Oracle and we were in okay. this meeting and I, as you know, whatever, I'm going to pitch it to him because this is, I'm not going to be able to design it. I don't have those skills. So I pitched him the idea for this bow site that has like self-adjusting pins and gives you yardage. And he just smiles and he looks at me and he was like, you promise not to tell anybody. And I was like, yeah. And he pulled out his phone and showed me a video of the prototype. And I was like, oh, no nice. way. I'm like, you guys are doing it. And that, and he's like, yep. He's like, we already haven't built. He's like, we've been building this thing for the last three years. I was like, holy cow. And he was like, so actually the real reason I asked you to beers is I was wondering if you might want to, you know, work for us and launch this thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. Like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so one of the first things I did is when I, before I even started working there, I was doing product testing on the Oracle. So I had one of the prototypes and take, I took it out hunting and you know, was just putting it through the paces and working with the engineering team to kind of make like final tweaks and stuff. Um, and I actually still to this day have that same site on my bow and I've had it all over and beat the crap out of the thing, hunted with it in negative 10 degree weather in Wisconsin, dropped it out of my tree stand. This site is amazing. Um, and it is truly, it's practical, right? So it's built, it's built by hunters. Our engineers are not like a bunch of rocket scientists, nerds, like they're hunters. So right. it's got all these different fail safes and, it's built by hunters for hunters. So uh, I didn't mean to jump into the Oracle right away, but I'm too excited. about No, it. no, so go, 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 man. That's, <laughs> I have to do it. That's what I want to hear about anyway. So keep it rocking. <laughs> All right, man. So basically it's a bow site with a rangefinder built into it. 
and a ballistic calculator built into it and an inclinometer. So that's a lot of fancy, oh, wow. it's a lot of fancy words, but basically with the bow sight, you click a button that you can mount anywhere you want on your bow. I put mine on the riser grip. You click the button. Yep. You can do that at full draw or not at full draw. Totally up to you. And then when you click that button, it gives you an exact range to your target and it gives you a holdover pin for that exact distance factoring in the angle of your shot. So if you're in a tree stand, it factors that in. And it does okay. that because it knows your exact bow and arrow setup. So when you calibrate the sight, you sight in your 20-yard fixed pin, and that 20-yard fixed pin is always there no matter what. So I talked about fail-safes, right? What if the battery dies? Right. What if it's too cold? Blah, 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 blah. Your 20-pin is always there no matter what. Um, and that 20-yard pin is actually what you use to range your target as well. So when you're at full draw, you put that 20-yard pin on your target, click the button, and it ranges it. So back to setting it in, when you're sighting it in, you sight in that 20 yard fixed pin just by dialing it like you've always done with every bow sight. And then you sight in a 30 yard pin with the up and down arrows and a 40 yard pin with the up and down arrows and you're done. So the site has now got three data points with your arrow, your bow, your exact setup, and it knows exactly what your curve will be. It's just science, right? Once you know three, right. cur- once you know three data points, you know the exact curve and how it will pan out. So it's pretty, it's pretty simple. Uh, actually it's, it look, it looks complex. It looks it sounds complex, but it's it's actually really simple. Um, and the site is just a freaking game changer, man. I can't say enough, like after having hunted with it for the last two, three years, that the ability to range when you're at full draw, how much of a difference that makes. I mean, it's even, especially if you're spot and stock hunting, but even if you're a tree stand hunter, right? And you're up in your tree and you have your shooting lanes and you hear something coming and you don't know if it's going to pop through at 20 yards or 40 yards or 50 yards but you need to come to full draw because it's, you're not going to have time, right? You can come to full draw wherever it steps out, get the range and smack. It's like instantaneous. It also uh, will stop you from having to grunt stuff to stop it. So let's say, you know, a deer's walking below you real casual, has no idea in the world you're there. It's walking, it's walking. Well, if you grunt it to stop it, what you've just done is put that deer in high alert and it's going to string jump you. Fact. Like, doesn't matter if it's at five yards and it won't have time to jump your arrow or if it's at 50 yards and it will, it's going to, it'll probably strengthen right. you if you grunted it to stop it. Well, now you don't have to grunt it to stop it. You just, as it's walking, range, 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 range. And when it naturally stops, let the arrow go. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing, man. It, the only thing that frustrates me is it's not legal everywhere. Um, obviously right. in Colorado, it's not legal. Um, and that's my home <laughs> state. So it's, yeah. it's really, it's not too bad. Um, I just, after using it, you know, in Wisconsin and Nebraska, I don't want to have to take it off my bow. <laughs> and then no doubt. I am like, okay, elk season starting up. So I got to take it off my bow. So I do that. Um, and, you know, all I do is I bolt my five pin sight back onto those same exact holes and my five pin sight's still on. So it's not, it's not hard to switch back and forth between sights. It's just annoying because now I have to dust off my rangefinder, make sure it's got batteries. I'm going to lose my rangefinder at least once a year. I go through rangefinders <laughs> right. like it's freaking toilet paper, man. It's crazy. <laughs> So, oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, no doubt. Well, I, I mean, I love the idea of it. I, I like I said, you, you're kind of talking about how you had kind of thought about something like that before. I mean, I know that I I was probably sitting in there. I was like, man, I was like, it would be so cool to be able to be at full draw and like a sight to be able to get a range on an animal. I was like, especially in Florida because it seems like a lot of stuff happens quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know what I mean, like it's like <laughs> something comes in real quick. It's it's really thick. A deer pops out of nowhere. It's like you don't really want to move that much, and the little bit of movement you you really want is drawing your bow back. So I'm like, well, that's all the only movement you're going to get. You're going to be able to sight that thing, 
bam, you're going to be able to to know instead of like reaching for the range finder, getting an exact range, putting it down, picking the bow up, pulling it back. So it seems like it just cuts out so much time when Man. time is precious. Time it always seems time like in hunting time is 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 it. Yep. And I've always thought I was like, man, I was like, if there there's gonna, I said, eventually one day there's going to be something out there like that where it'll it'll be that simple. Yep, uh, you're totally right, man. Efficient. You hit the nail on the head. Time and movement; those are the two most important things, like by far. And well, for the bow, too, guessing on yardage is pretty big too. But time and movement are huge. Right. Um, and you know the, you know, you mentioned, hey, talk about some of your other stuff that you have. The other big thing that we have, and the reason we were able to make this oracle, right, is our eliminator, which is a rifle scope that does the exact right. same thing. And we've, it amazes me that how many people don't know about the scope still, because we've had it for 10 years. It's been on the marketplace <laughs> a decade. Right. And I was going to say that because I remember seeing it on TV probably. And I was going to say about 10 years ago, like if you would ask me like, Oh, I think I saw it on TV about 10 years ago. And it was like, somebody had, was like trying to shoot at an elk or something and was like ranging it with the sight. And I was like, man, that's awesome <laughs> yep. that you can do that. Yeah. And it's the same thing. It's a, you know, put the crosshairs on the target, click a button. It gives you your exact distance and a holdover dot for your exact bullet and gun. And so basically it wasn't hard for us to create the Oracle because we already had the technology. We already had the experience and the know-how. We just had to put it into a bow site. Yeah. Well, how, how much does the Oracle weigh like in, in compared to your, your site you're already using? So I use uh, a Viper five pin, so it's really light. Um, but the, the Oracle is not really that heavy. It's a uh, 17 ounces. Um, so okay. if, if you're going to compare that to like, let's say a high end bow site, like a, a spot hog, right? Those are heavier right. than the Oracle, which is crazy because the Oracle's got a rangefinder in it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That is, that's actually what I, what I have right now is a spot hog. And I was, I was like, man, I was like, I think that site is actually lighter than the one I currently have on. It's like the fast Eddie XL <laughs> yep, or whatever it is. Eddie. I'm like, I'm like, man, I think that's actually lighter <laughs> than what I have <laughs> currently. I'm yeah, like, that's crazy. It's crazy because it's made out of uh, aircraft grade aluminum. So that's what makes it so light. And it's also really strong. I mentioned that I dropped mine out of my tree stand and it's man still just working like a charm so yeah that that is awesome that it has that kind of durability um i know it comes with a little bit of a price tag but i think yep. it, it's yep. basically about kind of the same as the competitor like it's not like it, it's not, not any more expensive uh, yeah, than what the competitor would be for that yeah it's at 7.99 uh, is retail um and we actually have a promotion going on right now where it's a hundred dollars you get a hundred dollar gift card when you buy it so it's like 6.99 okay. basically um, it's, it's pricey, but at the same time you think about what you're getting, right? So if you were to go out and buy a high end bow site and a rangefinder, you're going to spend way more than that. Like, oh yeah. You know, a good yeah. rangefinder is 500, 600 bucks. And then, you know, a bow site on top of that. And these are together. So you get the, the added benefit of being able to use them together. And like I said, not lose your rangefinder. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something else you don't have to carry in the woods. And then, yeah, you, you the, mentioned, yeah, and then you you know you mentioned a competitor. So there's one other company that does something similar, uh, Garmin, and they're right. they have two models. One is I believe a thousand, and then the other one is I think eight hundred, right around there. Um, right. And it is similar, but it's not the same. Um, no, no, it's definitely not. Yeah, the same. The sure. biggest difference, for sure. I mentioned the fact that our engineers are uh, not rocket scientists, but they're hunters. I think right. that the difference shows a lot. Uh, for example, our fixed 20-yard pin, um, that is something that I would not use an electronic site if there was not a fail-safe fixed pin on it. 
I'm also not right. a big fan of glass. I used to shoot 3D archery, and I had a magnifier for a while. Anytime I was shooting into the sun, I could not see. If there was any dust in the air, I couldn't see. If it rained, I couldn't see. If it was foggy, I couldn't see. So our site has no glass in it. There is no glass that can scratch, that can fog, that can glare, or that can break. If I would have dropped a site with glass out of my tree stand last year, it'd be done. Also, right. the, the other biggest difference is ours comes back by uh, forever warranty. So the Burris oh. Forever Warranty, no matter what happens to any of our products, we'll repair them or replace them, no questions asked. That is another huge difference. Yes, that, that definitely. <laughs> I didn't uh, realize that. I actually, I don't, I don't think I knew that. So yeah. that, that's incredible. Yeah, that's. I don't know um, why. That's crazy, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, 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 like, I mean, hmm. that that is a great deal. I mean, and like I said, I mean, yeah, you're talking about, like I said, you, you mentioned the price, but I mean, people will go out and they'll buy a $1,000 bow or a twelve or a $1,600 bow when uh, a lot of times the site's j- just as much as important as the bow is. I mean, yeah. I can pick up a $300 bow sometimes, but uh, I mean, I think some of the little intricate details like your scope quality and your um, your bow sight, stuff like that makes a difference just as much as like the like the, either the expensive rifle or the expensive bow that you're, you're going to place with them. Yeah. No, they, they say, uh, too, I, the analogy I like to use on that is, you know, you talk about rifles and optics, right? So they say, like, if you're thinking about getting into long-range shooting or if you're getting a hunting setup, you should spend as much on the optic or more than you do on the rifle, right? Right. So I don't know why bow hunting is so much different, right? You have people going out there dropping a grand and a half on a bow and then trying to spend $20 on a site. Oh, yeah. I've so, seen it for sure. I was like, <laughs> you got a, oh, like a, a $25 Walmart site on a yeah. $1,600 bow? <laughs> yeah. So I think we're seeing a shift in, in understanding and stuff. And for the people that are like, there's some people that are like, no, you know, that's cheating, whatever, I blah, blah, blah. I don't like it. I don't trust it. It's electronic. And then you see those people use it at a show and they just like their jaw drops and their eyes get big and they're like, I'm getting one of these. <laughs> right. So yeah, yeah. Like, I never, I never considered it. I, I, like I said, I was always an advocate for it because I was like, man, this it, to me is just makes things easier for the, for the hunter mm-hmm. and being able to know the exact yardage definitely helps in, in the hunting scenario <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too is, you know, we mentioned time savings and we meant, you know, you talked about how when a deer comes in, man, you get like, you get excited, right? Like you kind of, you you tend to forget things like your adrenaline is going. The last thing you have to want to have to worry about when like your adrenaline is going in the buck of a lifetime is standing in front of you is remembering what distance was that tree? Oh, you know what? Like you don't (laughs) have to worry about any of that. Like what it does is it lets you just, once you get used to it, once you practice with it, you come to full draw that you click that button. That's instinctive right? You get that dot right. and all you do is your, your whole concentration is on putting that dot in the right spot and making a clean release. And you will be a way better archer as a result of that. Oh yeah, no doubt. I'm, I'm definitely on board with that. And that's I was talked about, I think on another podcast is Florida actually just made those range finding uh, sites legal during the archery season because yep. apparently it had like two different things like it was like during like the general gun season you could use it on your bow but yep. during archery season you couldn't use it during the bow i'm like i don't see what the difference is <laughs> it's uh, so funny at you all. that on our website we, ha- we have people ask all the time where's it legal where's it not and we have a, a map on our website on the oracle on burrisoptics.com forward slash oracle um there's a map and every state is is blue where it's, I think it's blue where it's okay, and it's what uh, blue where it's illegal, and then white where it's legal, and then Florida was gray. 
<laughs> it was right. it was the one like well we're not really sure about what's going on there <laughs> and, and then you're right they just uh they just made it so it's totally fine now so we actually have to update that map oh yeah yeah exactly i was like oh sweet because that was one of the major rule changes they had this past season yeah uh, going into the season and i think you'll see that in a couple states like right now they're lobbying in washington to make it legal because if you think about it you know like i said some people will say oh that's cheating if it's better if there's more ethical kills and it's better for the animals and it lowers wound rates i'm all for it if you don't want to use it don't use it but you know those same people that are saying screaming from the rooftops that it's cheating are shooting a 380 foot per second compound bow and then i (laughs) my response is what do you think the trad bow hunter thinks of you like right we're all willing to go to a different level you know make our shots you know better and make us a better hunter you shouldn't be like putting other hunters down just because they're trying to you know have have a better success um i think that you know our our industry and hunting in general receives enough scrutiny from outsiders the last thing we need to do is get be getting on each other's cases you know oh i totally agree with that it seems like sometimes we can be our own worst enemies we are for sure man yeah the the theme of this podcast anyways is people to kind of come on and tell stories uh so people can kind of live through those like or if they're at work or whatnot and they can hop on put a podcast in and they can just kind of like relive somebody's uh hunting memory the way they tell it so would you mind just telling us a short little story uh, about one of your uh, your favorite hunting memories oh man yeah i'd love to let's see i'll pick a big game one um you know what i'll do i'll, I'll tell you the story of my first deer Okay. Just because I think that that's a pretty memorable experience for everybody. So I grew up, uh, obviously, like I said, hunting in northern Wisconsin, north central Wisconsin area. Um, and I had my family farm that I always hunted on. I always went with my dad, right? And then I, I basically started hunting with him when I was like five or six. I'd go into the tree stand, just watch, learn, you know, help. Um, started, you know, helping him process deer and stuff and just as a little kid. And then uh, went out, started going out on my own when I was eight. Um, and then when I was 12 was the first year I could legally hunt there in Wisconsin. Um, and I hunted with my dad opening day. Uh, and it's, it was, there's always snow on the ground for uh, opening day and, uh, hunted opening day, didn't see anything. And I always sat in the same stand on, it's like a, it was a ridge, uh, between two fields. And then there was a little ravine in, in the ridge. And I had this old rickety box stand that my great grandpa, uh, and I, I sat in it every year and I shot a lot of deer out of that thing. Um, but anyways, my dad got a call and this, this is like unheard of. Normally you're in it for the whole, you know, opening weekend, the next weekend, the following weekend, nine day deer season, you normally hunt all nine days as a family. Right. Well, I'm the oldest kid. So it's just me and my dad. And, uh, he gets a call and he has to go do something. I think it was a work related thing he had to go for. So he couldn't hunt with me Sunday. And he's like, well, he's like, you, I'm 12. I don't have a license, don't have a bike, nothing. He's like, well, he's like, you can come out with me and we'll come back Monday. And I was like, no way, I am hunting tomorrow. <laughs> and I was hunting with a lever action 3030 that uh, my dad passed down to me that he got from his dad, that he got from his dad, that he got from his dad. And this thing's been in our family forever. And wow. uh, I was staying at the farmhouse with my grandma. I had to set my alarm for like 4 a.m. I woke up. And I had to walk, it was like three miles all the way across all these farm fields of snow to my stand, which is on the other side of this, of our property, right? The 500 acres we had. So I walk, I'm a 12 year old kid. I'm walking through all this snow. I get, <laughs> and this, this is, man, you learn so many lessons about hunting, but it's cold, right? <laughs> no it's, doubt. it's cold and it's snowy. 
So at the time I'm all bundled up, right? I don't have anybody to come pick me up if I get cold. So I'm dressed warm and I walk three miles through the snow to get to my stand in the dark and I am sweating balls. (laughs) So (laughs) hot by the time I get there, I'm like just drenched in sweat and I creep up the ridge, like all quiet. I get up in my stand and I'm just dying. I'm so freaking hot. So I taking these layers off, right? Trying to be quiet. And the zippers seem like they're the shotgun blast going off. They seem so loud and you're trying to creep them down. And, uh, Anyways, I'm so hot. <laughs> I was just exhausted from walking. I fall asleep. And this is the sun wasn't even oh, up wow. yet. Sun wasn't even up yet. Um, obviously, this is way before cell phones and stuff. Um, so, and then all of a sudden, I hear, I like jolted awake and the sun had just come up. And I was like, wow. I was like, why did I wake up so fast? And then I heard another stick break. And I was like, oh, it was a stick break that, that woke me up. And I look across this ravine. It was a, an eight pointer was sitting. I didn't know what it was at the time. I just saw horns. I didn't care if it was horns or not. I was still right. shooting it. Right. Like yeah, I was man, just trying to get a deer. Old. Yeah. I was yeah, just trying to get a deer. Yeah. And I saw horns and I was like, Oh my gosh. So I, I put my you know rifle on him. I put it on his shoulder. I squeezed the trigger and the thing just takes off running straight towards me. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I was like, you know, and my dad always taught me just you shoot till the thing is down. So <laughs> right. I, I ran that lever again really fast and he, went down to the bottom of the ravine where it's thick and then it kind of comes up over this knoll and he came just full speed over this knoll and my gun had a it was a it was an over under mount so you can drop your head out of the scope and down to the iron sights right uh-huh. so i did that and he was so close i remember i didn't even put my head into the iron sights i literally held the gun and i just pointed it as it ran right to below my stand and i shot and it spined him and dropped him and oh, nice. I found out I did hit him in the, on the first shot, but it, you know, whatever it hit his shoulder and he, he was going to, he was going to go down anyways, but he right. made it the 50 yards to my stand, 70 yards to my stand, whatever it was. And then I dropped him. And I remember I was so excited. I jumped out of my stand. I didn't use a ladder because <laughs> it wasn't, it's a box stand. So it wasn't super high, but I'm talking like it was six feet off the ground, seven feet off the oh, ground. Nice. As a little kid, I jumped out. I was so excited. I fell to my, my, you know, <laughs> to my body. I, I got up and I was like, Holy crap, you know, get out the knife. And by this time I was, you know, 12 years old, I had already, I don't even know how many deer I had field dressed and stuff myself. So okay, I, you know, I, I field dressed it and it was one of the most like, rewarding moments in my life like i always think back to this that ravine that i had to walk up to my stand is just covered in snow and i'm a little i mean i'm not a big guy you know and when i was a kid i was really little so i'm dragging this deer by myself 12 year old stuff i'm dragging it through the woods and i get to the hill and the thing starts to slide so i jumped on it and i rode the thing all the way down the hill oh wow to to this (laughs) field and then i walked the three miles back to my uh, grandma's house and i got my great uncle chuck and told him i got one and he came and picked it up with the truck and it was one of the it was a little small basket rack eight but right. it was the second biggest deer ever killed on my on my grandparents property because everybody up there is meat hunters so the deer just don't get very big and i remember my yeah. dad when i came back on monday i had no way to call him right so like he came back on monday <laughs> to pick me up and there's a deer hanging in the tree and he was like no way you know i just remember being so proud because i i did it all myself and it was uh it was really cool yeah, oh man, that 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 is a great first hunting <laughs> kill story. Um, I, I can just picture you out there as a twelve year old because I'm like, you, when you kind of think about 
it's like, what did my 12-year-old self see? Because, I mean, I figured as a 12-year-old, I was probably, if I saw a deer back then, I probably would have, probably everything would have been a giant to me, more than likely. Yeah. Um, so, I'm sure you were just, when you saw them horns, it was like, oh, it doesn't matter. It's it's, it's go time, which is awesome. Because yeah. I can, I well, kind of did that on my first deer. <laughs> I saw a brown, I saw a brown and it was going down because that's what we hunted for right. sustenance, you know, like we, that's how, what we ate year long. And we got, we had a lot of deer tags in Wisconsin. So, I mean, if you see it, it's going down and right, man. Yeah. So I saw it and I was already going to shoot. And then I just remember seeing the rack and I still do this to this day. Actually, I try not to look at it. I try not to look at the rack because it gets me more excited and more worked up. So I tried to just focus on the shoulder, you know? And oh yeah. so I did that and shot and yeah, man, it was, it was cool. It was a good, good little, good little experience. And I, the, the biggest thing for me is I don't, even if it wasn't, you know, and then when I say a little basket rack eight, I mean small, like it was not a very big deer, but like to me, yeah. it was huge. And even if it was a spike, even if it was a doe, even if it was a fawn, I would still have told this story because it was the experience. It was getting up, going all the way by myself, dragging it by myself, riding it down the hill. Like it, it was just the whole, the whole thing is what made it. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. I would, I don't judge anybody's hunts anyways myself because I don't know people's situations or what they're doing, or if they only get to hunt for three days out of the entire year, it it doesn't matter to me because Mm -hmm. that's what hunting is all about. The experience for that person. Mm -hmm. And it sounds, I mean, that story right there brings me back. It makes me think about my first deer that I killed and, uh, everything that I did to, to be able to get that animal. So I appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing that story. It's, it's an awesome story. Um, a lot of time, and uh, it's funny cause a lot of people will kind of go back every now and then and they'll tell that first deer story or first kill story. So, you know, that they've kind of been, it's just passionate ever since that, that first time. And they just, it just continues to grow, which I think is awesome. Heck yeah, man. Um, yeah. And then you just add more and more. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, where can people find, uh, you on YouTube or social media or anything like that? So they can follow along with uh, some of your adventures. Yeah, so on Instagram it's Holtz Outdoors. Uh, it's the same on on YouTube, so you can you know follow me there and check out my channel. Like I said, the editing is not anything super impressive, but if you're, if you're looking to learn something or at least pass the time and see some ducks and geese die, it's a good yeah, place yeah. to go. You want to see some kills? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you can check me out there. Um, yeah. Other than that, I mean, you can check out Burris uh, Burris Optics. It's on Facebook, Instagram, and then you know check out the website if you have any questions about the products. Um, yeah, man, I really appreciate you having me on, and it was a, it was a good time. I would like to thank Logan for coming on today's podcast. I think that he embodies the Chasing Tales lifestyle, and I hope that today's episode inspired you guys to get outdoors and pursue your outdoor passions. And in the words of uh, my other host, Walter Lee, y'all be good. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. (laughs) Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss life on the water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. (laughs) The destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.